You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. It is Wednesday night, Bills Mafia. Welcome into another episode of the live show. Shout, a football podcast covering your Buffalo Bills. I am your host, Matt Perino. As always, my co-host, top right, Ryan Talbot. We are from New York Upstate and Syracuse.com. And on the bottom, our special guest this week, Mr. John Scott from Spectrum News. My man, how are you? Good. Can't complain. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Ryan... um, Tell us a little bit, first of all, before we get too far into this, you got a big piece coming out this week. I'm very excited about it. I just read about it. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what they can read this week on the site? Yeah, so uh, on Saturday morning, I'm going to have a story on Reggie Gilliam up on the site. Uh, Reggie's an undrafted free agent fullback out of Toledo, vying for a roster spot with the Bills. I was able to uh, virtually sit down with Reggie last Friday. We had a nice conversation talked with his head coach at Toledo, Jason Candle, earlier this week. So uh, d- talked with both of them. We talked a little bit with Heath Farwell earlier this week as well. So a-, a lot of different perspectives went into this piece. I think the Bills Mafia will really like his journey. Uh, really interesting with his pro day being canceled, what he turned to. So don't want to give too much away, but check out the site Saturday morning. Uh, I-, I really think this is a guy that the Bills Mafia will get behind, even with this shortened offseason. So we are live tonight for the first time on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Shout out to my my buddies over at Buffalo Fanatics for putting me onto this new program. We've had so much technical issues over the past couple of months as we lost, launched this show. John's been on a few times, <laughs> and it's been fun to kind of navigate those waters. But now uh, we feel like we've, we found something that's, that's pretty fun, and we're going to dive into some training camp stuff tonight. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk about something that happened yesterday. And in recent weeks... We've been talking a lot about Josh Allen. I, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago when the top 100 came out and Josh Allen was obviously in the news for his inclusion uh, when the players voted him number 87 in the NFL. Colin Cowherd came out, had some comments. Uh, but yesterday, Cole Beasley, we talked a little bit to him in, in a Zoom interview for his first one of training camp. And John, why don't you tell us a little bit about what he said, what you tweeted and the aftermath? <laughs> Cole Beasley, the main thing that that stood out on top of him talking about Stephon Diggs and how the receivers are going to have to be patient and and understand there's only one ball. But it was what he said about Josh Allen that really stood out. And he said that he's starting to make throws that he would not have even considered making a year ago. And then the thing that really took off was he said, and he's even starting to throw receivers open. To me, that's an encouraging sign. I think most people, especially tuning into this podcast, would agree. So I put the, the quote out there, um, and then I actually put the full soundbite on there as well. The full soundbite did not take off. It was the, the little quote that I put out, and I was surprised the traction that it got. Of course, I wasn't surprised by the people that were Bill's Mafia saying, well, this is really great you know, look out, Super Bowl, all of the typical stuff that Bills fans like to latch onto and respond in the ways they do when we see positive things. 
It was the outsiders, the haters that came out in droves, led by some people on pro football focus and stuff like that, that were saying, why is it taking him until his going into his third season to finally be throwing wide receivers open? And to me, it's it's so surprising that of all the players in the NFL, of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, from my perspective, it seems like Josh Allen is the one that universally people just are willing to die on the hill with what their original evaluation was. If, if you were not a Josh Allen believer going into the draft process and when the Bills selected him in the top 10, regardless of what he's done or shown, people still think that he's not good, he's completely inaccurate, always will be, and they will take any and every opportunity they can to push that point forward now as he's entering his third year. On the other side of things, people who are you know, maybe Bills fans or others who like Josh Allen, they, they believe in Josh Allen, they look at that comment from Cole Beasley in a positive light of, all right, his development is continuing to take steps forward. It's just mind-blowing to me because – in the 2018 quarterback class, I think the jury is out on all of them. And yes, in my opinion, that includes Lamar Jackson as phenomenal as he was last year. I think there are holes in his game in regards to passing and questions that frankly are not too unsimilar to those that we have for Josh Allen. It's just he's so much more dynamic as a runner, and the offense is probably better catered for him, and he he's is farther advanced. I mean, the guy won the Heisman Trophy. So it's like, I don't understand that why Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills quarterback, like nine times out of 10, nobody cares or knows anything about what's going on with this football team. Yet this is the quarterback everyone is going to latch on to. It just blows my mind. Baker Mayfield is far more polarizing and interesting than Josh Allen. He was the number one overall pick, runs his mouth, and was a Heisman Trophy winner. Sam Darnold was widely considered the safest of them all and he plays in new york city and we're not latching on to him and lamar jackson won the heisman trophy some people thought he should play wide receiver and now he's not even the most talked about person on there it just is very surprising to me the lengths that people are going to go to push their their thought one way or the other on josh allen it just i, I couldn't i couldn't believe it frankly <laughs> Yeah, and I think you said it really well in terms of like the PFF people who have been kind of knocking him ever since the pre-draft stuff. There's those, and then there's the fan bases. A lot of Chiefs fans I've noticed this offseason, maybe because of the potential throw-off with Mahomes. Uh, there's obviously a ton of Viking fans that are taking any opportunity because of the Stefan Diggs trade. So there's those fan bases. But like you said, it was a pretty innocent comment by Cole Beasley because you look at Josh Allen, and what is his greatest strength? It's his arm strength. He's trusted his arm throughout his entire football career, so he hasn't had to lead his receivers. He's been able to fit those tight passes into tight windows. So knowing that you're going into year three and he is starting to lead his receivers, I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's something that should have been knocked. It's just the fact that he is making that next progression in his game. So, you know, people are going to say what they want to say, like you said, but I would take it as nothing but an encouraging sign. Uh, Matt, where do you weigh in on all of this? So the thing for me that I think frustrates me in this whole Josh Allen debate, because listen, whether you're on pro Josh Allen side or anti Josh Allen, I mean, this it's football, it's, it's sports. You could have any opinion that you want. I think that that, that makes it fun. The issue that I have, and for me, somebody that's been pretty pro Josh Allen, I'm probably more on the side that I think there's you know, a, a higher ceiling or, or potential of reaching a higher ceiling than most. I know John for as complimentary as he just talked about, or befuddled about all this, as he just talked about, he's probably somebody that might be on the lower end in terms of his expectations for Josh Allen, not to throw you under the bus there, no. but my biggest issue is, I mean, you, you listen last night, if you, if you go and watch my appearance on Buffalo Fanatics, I talked about it. They asked me, you know, what do you think about Josh Allen as a dark horse MVP candidate? And I said, no, you know, I just basically <laughs> said, no, it doesn't really, to me, I haven't seen nearly enough yet to, to throw him in the, in the conversation with the elite players in this league, even Lamar Jackson, who I agree has some question marks. Um, so you have all that. My problem really starts with when people, media critics, uh, analysts, whoever 
start to talk about this idea that players can't develop or players can't progress once they come in the league. You come into the NFL and you are who you are, and there's no way that you're changing anything. For a guy like Josh Allen, a super raw guy who didn't play nearly the kind of competition that Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold did at the the college level, even Lamar Jackson, um, to come into the NFL, I think the expectation should have been this is going to take some time for him to figure it out. So I just don't like, you know, there's, you know, this kind of gets a little bit, uh, tricky because I don't want to like you know be nasty to anybody, but I also would say at the same time like listen, I sit back, I cover this team for a living. Uh, I'm a journalist. I'm not a football expert, but to all the football experts out there, I ask this simple question: If you really were as much of an expert as you think, wouldn't you be in the NFL doing this for a living? That that's that's my biggest pet peeve about not the the take. The take is fine. You can have the take, but it's the level at which they go to and the, the, the snarkiness and the nastiness. I, I just, I just don't think that there's any room. It's nasty enough out here. I mean, you go to the political side of things and it could get real nasty real quick. And I think with football, we should be a little bit more, um, you know, uh, just thoughtful with our cr- critiques and criticisms. I don't care what you say. You'll never convince me that a player can't, get better, can't develop. And I think in this environment in Buffalo, anything that you want to see ne- say negative about Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, I'm sure there's detractors out there that would find things. I think it's hard to say that they haven't come in here and shown the ability to develop players. My thing is, I'm not throwing this out there. So, I mean, again, and you alluded to it, I'm not sold on Josh Allen. I go by the eye test. I don't do all 22. I'm not, I don't have a coaching background where I sit there and watch film. That's not my jam. To those who do, you know, hats off to them. And maybe they feel that they can make these types of, uh, uh, you know, decisions and final grades through two years of football. In my opinion, I go off the eye test. I saw Josh for every single one of his games in person year one. I saw Josh for every one of his games in person for year two. And I saw the development year one to year two. What were we banging on him on? Stop playing hero ball. Use more of the things underneath and allow your playmakers to make plays. He did that. His completion percentage, probably because of that, elevated. What have we said now going from two to three? Connect on some deep balls. Continue to work on placing the ball better. And again, make more anticipatory throws and throw your guys open. So if we're hearing that that side, uh, sort of thing is already happening, I think that that's great because, like you said, he was an unrecruited guy out of California who ended up at Wyoming who was drafted as a guy that was supposed to be a developmental quarterback whose skill set alone people believed had a very high ceiling. So, yes, when Baker Mayfield's winning the Heisman Trophy and coming out of the Big 12 – you know, maybe you can expect him to come in and set an NFL record for touchdowns for a rookie his first season in the league. And maybe because he's a Heisman Trophy winner in the ACC, you can expect Lamar Jackson to come in in his first full season starting and win the MVP of the league. But that's not the case with everyone. And there are other players that maybe their development is going to take a little bit longer. And the only person that should have an issue and dictate whether that is okay or not is the team that he is on. And the Bills are clearly comfortable, at least for now, to see where he is going through year three. But again, I'm not sold on him. And this year, to me, is a big, big deal. Like, I've been banging the drum that if this guy cannot throw for 300 yards in three full seasons in the league, like, that's a problem. I don't care if they go 16-0. and Like, 35 quarterbacks did it in the league. It is so easy to throw for 300 yards. Does it mean he's good or bad? No. But if he can't do it in three years, then like that is just something that sticks out to me. He needs to do things more with his arm. He needs to lead the offense. But I'm not here to say he can't do it. I'm not here to say he can do it. I just think that it's really unfair for anyone to make any sort of final judgment on any of these guys after two seasons. Definitely. And I think that if you're not paying attention, if you're not paying close attention like we are, and maybe that's why some of that commentary is not coming out of the local scene is because we are pretty plugged in. We get a chance to talk to these guys and even Sean McDermott several times this offseason, Josh Allen, 
there's an awareness of what he needs to improve upon. I mean, even Sean McDermott today basically said it wasn't surprising that there's still critics out there that are questioning whether or not the quarterback position is going to hold this team back. And he said, what you have to do is that that will change when Josh changes it, when he changes the narrative. And so from that perspective, I think that, you know, this, this regime has gotten so much love over the course of this summer spring uh, for how they built this roster, the moves they made in free agency, the draft again. Um, and the one big question mark has been Josh Allen. But I think that the fun part for fans and for this team is seeing if, if that does click, if that does work, this could be a real scary operation all of a sudden. 100% agree. I mean, I mean, the Chiefs took off a couple of years ago because Patrick Mahomes took off. Even when the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game and frankly should have gone to the Super Bowl, Blake Bortles was was pretty good with a good defense. We've seen other quarterbacks take those steps. Ryan Tannehill last year with Tennessee stabilized things in their major playoff push. So, yes, it remains to be seen. My whole thing was I just couldn't believe that people are still unwilling to just look at what he's done. I mean, Matt and I were talking earlier today. I don't understand it. There's no way all these people outside of Buffalo have seen a bunch of Bills games because they're not on national TV. And ironically enough, the few that were last year, I would say were Josh's best games outside of the New England game, uh, which the second half was good. So it just it's curious to me because I just can't conceive that a lot of these haters out there have actually been watching him. And that's why I think it's, it's an easy crutch to just say, well, this is what I knew of him coming out of Wyoming. And I've seen him twice or something like that. And some guy went through two years of footage and put together two minutes of crappy throws as someone who edits videos. I could do that literally for every quarterback in the entire history of the league. I could find two minutes of crappy throws. I think that's a weak, weak thing for people to lean on. Yeah, and one last thing here. I think personnel matters as well. Look at what he had when he came into this league as a rookie. He had Calvin Benjamin. He had Andre Holmes, Tate, Zay Jones. Now fast forward to year three, he has a legitimate trio of wide receivers. He has a promising young tight end, a pretty good two-headed running back room back there. So now going into year three, yeah, you, you want to start seeing him put together. But like you said, we saw – a lot of improvement from year one to year two, but no one should be sold on him yet. Let's just let him see what he does in year three, though, with some legitimate talent around him. One quick note before we move on here. I've seen Evan, who's very active on um, uh, Twitter, um, big Bills fan and, and brought up Mitch Trubisky. And I think that, you know, I've been on record as saying that I think it's a very lazy comparison just because I don't think that they're similar players. I don't think Mitch has the arm that Josh does, and I don't think he's as effective as a runner. Like the one thing that people forget about Allen is he's just a massive weapon in the red zone, like one of the most dangerous red zone threats in the NFL. I don't care who you are, running back, receiver, quarterback. So I just think that they differ in terms of their game. You look at what Josh Allen did in year two last year. They're adding Stefan Diggs to that. You know what I mean? So I just think the comparisons there are a little bit lazy. I And again, I don't think everything fits into nice little neat compartments that we can use, uh, you know, at our leisure to, uh, you know, forward our narratives. I think that they're all individual pieces. I also think that if you watch a Mitchell Trubisky press conference and you watch a Josh Allen press conference and you still want to use a comparison for these two players in terms of, you know, where their, you know, football acumen is, you know, their competitiveness levels. I just, I just don't see it. So again, we will see the, the, <laughs> the, the, the questions will be answered this year. We can't spend too much time on this because I want to get deep into the, to some training camp stuff. You are watching shout a Buffalo football podcast covering your bills with Matt Prino and Ryan Talbot. And tonight our special guest, John Scott at John Scott TV on Twitter, go give him a follow. He covers the bills very, very well. And I'm being complimentary. I'm not often that complimentary of John, but uh, he's my good buddy. And 
do us a favor, wherever you get your podcast, if you listen audio, I know where we do this live show, help us out. Go, go uh, subscribe to the shout pod on all of your, uh, you know, devices and applications really helps us out. Leave a, um, review, a rating, subscribe, all that fun stuff. It really helps us out. All right. So let's get into training camp here a little bit because, this is a different one, John. Uh, we, we've been talking about it all week. You and I wear these little contract tr- tracers as we walk around the facility and we can't get with it. If we are going to talk to each other through our masks, we got to be kind of six feet apart. Otherwise, it starts yelling at us and beeping. Um, early impressions. Let's start there of just what you've taken away from these first three days in this new camp environment. Uh, well, you talking about just how it's different overall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just your, your overall impressions of covering camp in the COVID world. Yeah, it certainly is unique. Um, even just from, let's start with vantage points. Usually at St. John Fisher college, we're able to, there's literally a track around the field, the main field, and we can walk around it. And so if you want to focus in on offensive line or running backs or receivers or different position groups, you can position yourself around the field to get the best vantage point. You can't do that. We are, the practice fields are are like this and we're stuck down here between the back of two end zones uh, that go right up against a fence that would be to the parking lot where maybe some of you park for Bill's games right by the field house. So Offensive linemen, defensive linemen are at the way other end of the field. And especially since on the defensive line, you got a bunch of guys that are newer. They got new numbers. Sometimes they tuck them up into their pads. So just visually seeing who is where and and what is happening down at those two position groups is challenging. And especially as someone who's shooting video, even for me with, you know, uh, zooming in, it's pretty far away. So, so that is challenging in regards to just doing my job and our job is, I mean, I think you and other of, of the guys there have started bringing binoculars like you would in the press box because things are so far down there. So that's just unique where we basically have very few vantage points to capture the action. And then, like you said, we're all socially distanced. There's much fewer of us. There's not fans. And it's here in Orchard Park as opposed to St. John Fisher College. We're not rolling out of our dorm room five, ten minutes before the press conference in shorts and sandals and then writing and editing in our dorm room and all of that stuff. It's it's not the same. I drive five minutes home back to my place here in Orchard Park, and and that's where I do all my work here in in, in our spare room. It's pretty unfair, actually, I must say, Ryan, because we were just sitting in the parking lot after practice today. And we're, I'm looking over at him and I know that he's got a four minute drive anytime he wants to go home and I got to drive 20 minutes back to Amherst. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, so from that, just the nuts and bolts of it, uh, that is unique. But again, um, you know, it does funnel the people that you can accurately get your coverage from, except for when they steal it, um, you can get it. And uh, is from is from a few. So I would just, uh, as a PSA out there, just maybe be careful who you're getting it from because there's a lot less of us out there and no one in the stands to uh, to give their thoughts either. Yeah. So a question for both of you, because, it, you know, for those of you that maybe not be following on social media uh, this week of what's going on here, you can't talk strategy. You can't talk who's working first team, second team, third team, things like that. How difficult has it been for you two so far in terms of crafting tweets or even writing your observation pieces based on one year ago, two years ago, compared to now knowing that there are certain things you can and cannot say? Well, for me, I have for the past few years actually done position battle blogs where daily I would update, all right, this person's at the, you know, with the first team, this person moved up from third to second. And I, that to me is the biggest thing that you gain from training camp is seeing who's going to be where and trying to put the pieces together, not only for the starting lineup, but just to see who's going to make the team. And while we could still do that behind closed doors, we can't release that information to everyone else. And that, again, if I think it, and we think that that's pretty much what everyone's trying to gain from training camp, certainly all of the fans, that's what they're trying to as well. So What I've tried to do is basically I lean and rely solely on the interviews of the day. Now, like 
your story for the weekend. Your boy had a fantastic catch down the sidelines. It was like a 40-yarder the other day. Like, I can tell you that that was it, and that was my first moment of being like, oh, yeah. And I actually told Matt, I said, that's that guy that Ryan really loves. I even forgot that he was on the team. And so it's like <laughs> that's that's where those things are. Or when Isaiah Hodgins is, is making catches and pinpointing or Duke Williams is having another Duke Williams moment, those are the things that we can give. And I guess basically leave it up to people to say, well, I've seen someone mention Duke Williams has made a play so and so many days, or I haven't heard that this person's made a play. So that's the way I'm going to kind of figure out a pecking order. And that's what we just have to leave it up to, to people to almost interpret a little more uh, than giving them the answers to the test. Today was one of those days that in camps past, you really go heavy on the alignments, like where guys are going. Like they're go it's it was mostly walkthrough in shells. So it would be about, you know, this guy is here, this guy's lining up there. He was with the first team, he was with the second team. Now we can't say any of that. So as we go through camp, I think that while you know fans will be a bit more in the dark about what this team is going to look like and who's actually, you know, because if I say Isaiah Hodgins made a great play and I don't tell you who we made it against, like in what setting it, it doesn't carry the same value. Like I remember last year, every time Duke Williams got into the, got into a level on 11 drill with the first team and made a big play. That was big time. I mean, that was where the interest driver is. When we, when we get to the 53 man roster projections and I saw that, you know, uh, I think it was the Packers that came out today and said that they're not allowing their media to do the 53 man roster projections or depth chart projections. It might've been, you know, if we're allowed to do that, the content of our explanations of why we think certain guys are going to make the team are just going to be very watered down. So I understand at the same time, I understand why teams are doing it. I understand why the bills are doing it. I mean, to try to gain any competitive advantage in a season with so many question marks, makes a lot of sense. And if the NFL has empowered you to do this, I, I, I can't really scoff at it too much, uh, but it does make the job a lot tougher. Oh, absolutely. So let's actually talk about some players and maybe water down your, your observations on them a little bit. Uh, last week, we talked about one specific offensive lineman saying he was not a lock and that was Daryl Williams. But one thing I've seen on social media and in some of the observation pieces that is that he's healthy. Sean McDermott said he seems healthier today. He's kind of held his own wherever he is in that lineup. Uh, any observations on the former Panther and current Bill? I I mean, I'll start off. I think he's been one of the pleasant surprises so far because I don't think, like you mentioned, anybody really had a great idea of what he was going to be. But I thought, you know, going into camp, I still thought that he was going to be in the mix for you know, that swing tackle role. Like I thought going into camp, Cody Ford was going to end up being the right tackle. They were going to give him the opportunity to play that more uh, regularly in 2020. Um, and they have a lot of interior players. I mean, um, I we, we joked about this today. Ryan Bates can play in there, but he's predominantly, you know, on, um, probably more of an outside player in a backup center now. Evan Bame can play guard and inside. Uh, they have John Feliciano. They have Brian Winter. So, you know, where Derek Williams fits in, I can't say, and I really don't know. But when he has played so far, you know, whenever it's been, I think that he's held up pretty well. And I think that one of the things that you see, and I think it was John and I that were talking about this, or maybe it was Marcel. You know, one of the things about Cody that stands out sometimes is his lack of speed on the outside. And I think that's where he gets into some trouble when he gets really bull rushed and gets himself into trouble when he's slow to a spot. You know, Daryl Williams, if you go back to 2017 and watch some of his film, he was excellent in that for Carolina that season as their right tackle. And so I think if he can maybe reclaim some form and Sean McDermott, interestingly enough today, John said that when he was asked about it, that he thinks that Daryl Williams still hasn't become the best version of himself, the best football player he can be. So if he can become that, knowing what he was in 2017 for that Carolina Panthers team, I still think if you could somehow land, if it's 2020 or 2021 with Cody Ford as a Pro Bowl caliber guard, that's still a win where they got him in 2019. One thing I'll just say as a general statement, again, I'm still learning how to navigate all of this, but one thing I'll say is 
offensive and defensive line, and AJ Epinesa actually touched on this today, but I think both of those spots, they're really looking to tap into as much versatility as they possibly can. And I think it even more so is important this year because while they can carry more offensive linemen with COVID and all of these things, you never know when someone can go down. So the more guys you have on the line and the offensive line is what we're talking about now that can play multiple positions, I think is going to be even more of value. And we know Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean often preach about position flexibility. And I think this year it's going to be even more of a premium to have guys that they are comfortable with that have can play tackle guard, guard center, all five positions, right side, left side. I, I think that's going to be important. And I also think that they may even, as camp continues to move along, try guys out maybe in spots that they're not even accustomed to normally just to see how far they can extend some of these guys. And then when they make the ultimate roster decisions, they can say, all right, we have our starting five and even this guy could kick in here and this guy could move out there. And then we got five backups and all five of them can play at least two positions. I think that's going to be pretty important. And, and I think that from what I've seen of camp, they've worked a lot of guys into a lot of different spots. That's interesting. You know, looking at, oh, time to be the dog. Uh, looking in the comment section, it's uh, someone is asking about Zach Moss. Moss, uh, we didn't know what his role would necessarily be here in his rookie year with with this shortened off season. But again, another guy who has at least uh, in these observation pieces has received some praise for uh, a big catch in, in the passing game, looking pretty good on, on the ground as well. So early impressions of Zach Moss. Well, John, I don't know about you, but in terms of where your expectations were heading into this, but I kind of entered this camp phase thinking it was clearly going to be Devin Singletary one and Zach Moss two. Like, I think that there's potential. I thought at least there was potential for them to be a real classic duo as the season went on, where we're talking about maybe even a 50 50 split at some point, but I thought Singletary would be the featured back based off what we've seen in these last two days. And of course, Always important to remember, it's thud up season right now. They haven't started live tackling, so you have to remember that. I think Zach Moss has looked phenomenal, and even more so, maybe more impressive, what he's been able to do as a pass catcher. Yeah, I got what I call the throw of the day yesterday uh, on a wheel route, Zach Moss down the sidelines, and, and it was a fantastic throw by Josh, and it was really impressive to see how Moss was able to act as a wide receiver. Now, when I did the uh, my prospect profile on him, one thing that did stand out is he actually was fairly involved in the passing game at Utah. So it shouldn't be absolutely that big of a surprise. Matt, unlike you, if the offseason would have been normal, I actually thought there would have been a good chance that they could have been 1A, 1B and interchanged. I do think that even though running back – is a position guys can kind of slide into and transition quicker than maybe other positions. I think Singletary will be one, but it would not surprise me if it's 60-40 week one and, and, and it, it wavers maybe back and forth even early in the season. The one thing that has stood out from like an observation standpoint is even in thud up, he's looking for contact. And when guys go and they, they hit them and they wrap them and obviously they're not going down, but even then, like he's looking for it. And in that setting, that's not really normal because you're just looking to, you know, get used to getting hit. But that that guy looks for contact. And I believe it was Quentin Spain who said in the past few weeks that even looking at film that Spain has watched of Moss, he loves the fact that he sees two linebackers come into the hole and he goes, Moss, what would you do? And he's like, I'd go right through them. And like these guys up front love that. So uh, I, I think that that's, that's my first impression is this guy, this guy loves to hit. Oh, look at you. I'm trying to bring this <laughs> up here because I thought it was actually some really good work. And I don't say that to John very often. So, well, I, I was the to... one, I was the one who, uh, Sal Capaccio tweeted out, said that I was rusty on the first day. Uh, <laughs> this is the second day. Uh, I knocked the rust off and it was pretty on point. Look at that. But who was that in coverage? I was Delshawn Phillips, I believe. Correct. All right. So yeah, it was a great shot. And I think that just to add to that, Moss is somebody that I think 
gives them a true one-two punch. And God bless his heart. Frank Gore came in last year. He gave them a lot early on in the season, especially when Devin Singletary went down. I disagree with him that he was on pace for a thousand yard season. If he would have continued <laughs> to be featured, but you know, he's a grinder. If they were going to give him 20, 25, 30 carries, maybe he would have maybe uh, etched himself past that mark. But I think with these two guys, it's a game changer for the offense because, you know, even at points last year where it felt like the the passing game was you know poised to break out, you never felt like Brian Dable and Sean McDermott maybe by you know more so was willing to to abandon the running game. And I don't even want to say abandon the running game, but stop you know you know using it so repetitively at times. I think where you know especially you get to the playoff game and the running is obviously not working. They they kind of stay with it. They stay with Frank Gore with those seven to ten carries a game there. I think with these two guys, they're both so dynamic and do so many different things that I don't think fans should be disappointed if they end up, you know, maybe running a little bit more in 2020 than they'd expect with the addition of Stefan Diggs. Yeah, and speaking of Diggs, nice little transition here. Uh, a lot of fans are, are refreshing their Twitter feeds daily, looking for videos, looking for tweets about Stefan Diggs. Has he been as good as advertised today? And what can he do, in your opinion, for this offense in 2020? The answer is yes. I am the person who has also put out back. I'm gonna get it. I'm Monday. gonna get it. I didn't do it today because they didn't really do much um, right. in a walkthrough setting. But first two days, yeah, he he was as advertised, and we've all talked since the trade happened to many people who all universally rave about his footwork and route running, and spot on. I mean, you watch that guy; he is so crisp and precise and gets in and out of breaks it, it's it's something that i really not sure i've seen people run routes like that before um and, and he had a good chemistry especially the first day working with josh so uh, i i think that he so far again it's training camp sammy watkins looked like the, you know, the real deal in training camp as well when he first stepped onto the stage here with the bills uh, but Stefan Diggs looks fantastic. He's looked good in 11 on 11 work as well. And, uh, I, I think the, the question is though, and it kind of goes into talking about the running game is, and Cole Beasley said this, like there are so many mouths to feed and how is it all going to get distributed? I mean, do the bills want Josh to be thrown at 35, 40 times a game? I don't particularly think so. I think, 25 30 max is probably the range that they would want and if he's going 30 in my opinion Diggs should get 10 targets i just don't know if that's realistic though and then you got beasley you brown knox you want to get the running backs involved whoever rounds out the wide receiving core i i just don't know if that's gonna so that's where i'm curious i know like matthew barry has said he doesn't think Diggs is like a top 20 fantasy wide receiver obviously that doesn't matter in regards to the the bill success but I'll be curious, especially early in the season, the volume that goes Diggs' way because that's something that they just we haven't seen from this team in, in a really, really long time. Where I think Diggs matters the most is for Josh Allen to become a more consistent passer. Like I thought that there was times last year in certain games against really tough matchups where he didn't have that safety valve. You know what I mean? I think that that at times, as good as John Brown was last year, he was a bit limited as a focal point number one wide receiver because he doesn't really do a lot after the catch from a physicality standpoint. A lot of his really good work was done in that intermediate range when he found the soft spot of the defense uh, or whatever it was on a quick slant. Uh, usually gets tackled pretty quick on first contact. Diggs is somebody that I think is a problem in all three areas of the field. And, you know, he's got such a wide catch radius because like Cole Beasley, Beasley talked about this. They're both so twitchy at the line of scrimmage that, you know, some of those accurate accuracy issues that I think a lot of the naysayers, you know, take issue with Josh Allen with, I don't think it's going to matter as much because how Stefan Diggs is able to present himself to Josh Allen, give him a, a, a somewhere to throw the ball. And then once he gets the ball in his hands, you know, if you're not getting tackled at first contact and you're adding five, 10, 15 yard yards on each reception every time, that stuff adds up over the course of a season. 
Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, a lot of fan questions about players in the comments. But before we, I ask you specifically about those players, I, I guess I want to see if they come up organically. So camp surprises, I guess, in a positive light. Who has surprised you? I know it's still early, but maybe one or two players that have surprised you in a positive way. Hmm. I'll go first. Nice. Uh, it's two wide receivers. It is Isaiah Hodgins has surprised me. That dude is just big. And, and I think I put one or two clips out and other people have of him. He, he's just a big dude. And when they drafted him, we knew that, you know, big dude talked to his wide receiver coach at Oregon state said that he thinks Hodgins has the best hands he's ever coached and been around uh, in football. So he's big and he makes plays and he's finally out of the red non-contact Jersey. So his health is coming back up there. So he's someone and another one. And I don't want to spark, the train again, but Duke Williams. I mean, Duke Williams has come in here and done exactly what Duke Williams did a year ago in training camp. And even when he was on the practice squad and, and all of that, the catch he made the other day, I believe it was yesterday was incredible. The bills tweeted out the video. I mean, it, it was, it was Duke Williams, the essence of Duke Williams. And my concern with Duke in projecting him on the roster is a year ago, the bills were looking for that physical contested catch guy. And Duke was the one who provided that and was the only one that really they could on the roster at the time. Isaiah Hodgins is a contested catch guy. Gabe Davis is a contested catch guy and Diggs is a contested catch guy. So you're probably going to keep two of your draft picks and you're obviously keeping Stefan Diggs. So does he provide a skill set that you don't have that would force his way onto the roster? That's my concern. But on the very early going, he's once again doing everything he can to make his case. You know, I have a different one, but Duke has Duke doesn't have the position flexibility that I think that Isaiah Hodgins offers. I mean, even coming into the you know the draft after the Bills selected him, you know, Brandon Bean talked about what he what their projection for him was in the, in the potential of him working out of the slot at six foot four. I think he, he projects as a real matchup nightmare for, I mean, opposing CBs. I mean, we asked Taron Johnson today on the, on the call about what it's been like going up against him when, if, if, and when he has in practice. And he said he was familiar with him even before, and he's just at the catch point. He makes big plays, which I think Duke Williams does as well. But I think that Duke Williams wears his size a completely different way than Isaiah Hodgins does. Isaiah Hodgins is a real athlete. Like he's, he's, he, he strikes me as somebody that's a real slick playmaker and somebody that I think might be a little bit more polished as a route runner. Uh, again, we haven't watched enough of him to, to really be able to tell, but I think that's one of the areas. And again, I'm not a film expert by any stretch, but I think that's one of the areas that got Duke Williams into some trouble last year. And that I think a lot of balls sometimes got on him because of whether it be uh, a lack of speed or maybe not a crisp enough route. And I think that that got him into trouble and maybe led to some of the, I don't even want to say drops, but missed chances last season. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. Now, Matt, did you have a player in mind? Yes, yes. It looked like John wanted to come in there and say something. But you know no, what? Whenever I'll, John stays quiet, that's a good thing. <laughs> so I'm going to say my my biggest surprise so far has been Mario Addison. And I t spoke about him yesterday. I'm not going to talk too much. But this guy's going to be 33 years old when the season starts on September 13th. His birthday's on the 6th, I believe, uh, of September. He'll turn 33 years old. And I'll tell you, what we've seen out of the practice field the last couple of days does not strike me as somebody that's entering uh, the twilight of his career. And, you know, Jerry Hughes spoke about it this, uh, I think it was last week, about you know, he knows the playmaker that this guy's going to be. And when they will, when they lost Jordan Phillips and they lost Shaq Lawson in 16 sacks from 2019, I think the early concerns, if you were a Bills fan, were how are they going to replace that? Well, I'll tell you right now, just from watching him the last couple of days, I think, I think Mario Addison is going to do just fine. And, and this isn't giving anything away. You I mean, go back to when Brandon and Sean talked about him over the last couple of months, they talked about potentially flipping him in, in, in on the inside and letting him rush. And maybe from that three tech role, they have guys everywhere that can flip. I mean, you know, AJ Epinesa, who spoke about it today on the show, Quentin Jefferson, who Sean said before camp started that uh, he could, we could see some, some one tech from him, some three tech, 
Uh, obviously some edge work that he did last year in Seattle. So there's so many potential options for combinations on this defensive line. I'm really excited to see how they use all these guys. Okay, so now let's flip it around. And I, and I hesitate to use the word disappointment, but are there any players that you've thought now through a few practices, only really two, uh, because today was more of a walkthrough, where you're like, man, I really haven't seen that player. They haven't stood out, or I haven't even uh, noticed that player so far, and I thought maybe they would have a bigger impact so far. For me, all right, so I noticed him. Um, some of the guys that maybe you don't notice, I'm going to say it's a product of just where we are in camp. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was not impressed with at least day one of Josh Norman. I, and granted, he was going up against Diggs a lot. And as we already said, Diggs, Diggs was fantastic. But I, I didn't think – and again, it's unfair to like blanket – uh, under, you know, you have to put in that it has been two days and I'm particularly speaking about one. I didn't think Josh Norman was particularly great the first day. And again, that could be Josh Norman or it could be Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. We're dealing that day. Uh, but, uh, I have questions about Norman just in general. I said before the year or before camp started that I actually think Levi Wallace will win the battle. Um, but uh, yeah, so for one day, I noticed him uh, because Diggs was getting was getting uh, receptions and whatnot. But I was not impressed with Josh Norman. Again, I'll just base it off of Monday's practice. I agree with you, and I think that when we left the field that first day, my prevailing thought on Josh Norman was, okay, he that that was a day. Like nothing to me stood out. Uh, he had a couple, I guess, uh, breakups. Um, but overall, it just, it, it wasn't huge for me, for, but on the offensive side of the ball, I'll say that I guess disappointment, I don't want to say it's a disappointment from a play perspective, but just of a circumstance perspective, I think you got to be disappointed for Robert Foster. Who's now in the concussion protocol. He's going to be out for a little bit here and really puts himself at a disadvantage trying to earn a roster spot. He already was at a disadvantage when they brought in Taiwan Jones, who, who, we think is going to take that gunner role away from him. Heath Farwell was raving about yeah. Taiwan Jones and uh, Saran Neal and, and the, the combination that they, they are out there. So I think Robert Foster's path to the roster was going to have to be beating out one of these uh, rookies. And the one thing about Foster that's always been interesting to me is you wonder why maybe, and maybe he just doesn't have the skill set to do it, why he didn't maybe start working on his skills as a, as a returner. And just seeing if he could throw his hat in the mix, and maybe like because every time we talk about Andre Roberts's role um, or his potential spot on the team, a lot of people like to mention Isaiah McKenzie and his at least that he's shown some ability to run back kicks. And I think that that would put Robert Foster in such a better position. But maybe the ability is not there. Maybe he's not able to do it. He's a little bit bigger of a guy. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily the perfect fit as a kick returner. But I just don't see a path to the roster for Robert Foster in this circumstance now, because especially because of Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins and how good they've looked these first few days. The interesting thing about Foster will be, does he even have a path and all these the back end wide receivers is who actually has a path to the practice squad. And that's where, again, Foster, Duke Williams, you know, any, if a rookie doesn't make it, if Isaiah McKenzie, like, who of the how many and who of that group do they decide to put? Do they put two or three guys on there if they're keeping six or, or whatnot? There's no more rule, although with some of those guys it wouldn't matter, but years of service no longer matters on the practice squad. So it's just it's interesting because when you look at maybe Duke and, and Foster, who people going into camp would assume were maybe on the outside looking in, what could they provide that is not already on this roster? And I would say straight line speed. So that's Foster. That's that's what has always been something that has at least allowed him to continue to have a shot. Um, but availability is key. And in this condensed, shortened period of time, if you miss even a week or something, that may just bury you for the rest of the way. We'll have to see. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And I was recently talking about Duke Williams possibly being an ideal practice squad candidate for the Bills, considering his age, considering – he doesn't have that straight line speed. So he might not be a, the type of player that other teams are looking for where 
you know, Robert Foster, his chances here in Buffalo may not be looking too great right now, but if he proves to be healthy, there might be a team that looks at his 2018 tape and says, well, this guy has speed. He's had some flashes, you, you know, speed in the NFL uh, uh, Panthers last year, they claimed Ray Ray McLeod. They thought Ray Ray maybe had something to his game there. So uh, a guy like Foster may just have to be waiting for a second chance elsewhere where a guy like Duke with the bills might be able to sneak onto that practice squad. Uh, another topic that's been actually a lot in the, in the commentary is some punter talk because the bills made a move today <laughs> Uh, they, they added Lachlan Edwards, formerly of the Jets. Any any thoughts, one, I guess, on Edwards, and, and two, what does it say that the Bills felt the need to make a move on a punter with the regular season just a few weeks away? I mean, we haven't seen a lot of punting, uh, so I can't really get into uh, too much of what the competition has been like. Like, I think Kari Vedvik got one punt in 11 on 11 the other day, and maybe they didn't like what they saw, but you know, there's, there's so many elements that go into this thing. I mean, we saw Vedvik holding for bass who went six, six of nine, uh, on Monday. Then yesterday, the holding for Steven Hauschka, who knows if that maybe went into it, if there was a, a lack of chemistry there, but I think that what it, what it tells me is that, no, nobody, neither Vedvik or Bohorquez in this shortened uh, training camp period has asserted themselves as somebody the Bills feel confident, you know, three weeks out from game starting uh, from saying, you know what, I think that if we end up with one of these guys, we'll be all right. They want to add another guy to the mix. I'm not too familiar with Edwards, uh, but we'll get a chance to hopefully see him. A uh, little note, tomorrow's practice is in the stadium uh, at 10 o'clock, the first one in the stadium. And I'm wondering if it will be a our first live tackling practice. That that will definitely ratchet things up. We'll probably get a much more uh, interesting look at what this team actually looks like. So that little note there. Very very interesting. Yeah, uh, Edwards is coming off of uh, some of his best seasons in terms of yards over the last three years. Net average. He's coming off of a, a career year. So maybe you know I I don't want to have too much puncher talk here on the show, but. Maybe that is going to help him win this job. Maybe they don't need to see much from him. Uh, one other player in the comments, a UB product, Cam Lewis has been brought up. Anything in that cornerback room that, you know, there might be a job or two to be had, especially after EJ Gaines opted out a few weeks ago. They, they might be looking just for some additional help in that back end. So anything from the UB product that has stood out to date? I believe Leslie Frazier touched on him at the end of last week um, and mentioned that he was playing well. It was unfortunate he dealt with, dealt with the concussions that really probably blocked his path, which was, was a narrow one to make the roster uh, out of camp a year ago. And But he said he's going to get a shot to you know be a backup guy as a, as a slot nickel corner and, and contribute in special teams. We saw last year, especially in that Jets game, Cornerback depth is a thing that they that they need to address, and I thought EJ Gaines was going to be perfect for them because I didn't necessarily envision him winning the job. I thought it would still be between Norman and Levi Wallace, but he has flexibility to kick inside and out, is familiar with the system, not getting paid a lot of money. I thought that he was going to be someone that would really – he'd be like their Kevin Johnson of a year ago – with the ability to to kick inside and out and give them a confident backup role. So they don't have that right now. Cam Lewis obviously has experience on the outside, and they're looking to put him at the slot, which is also interesting because we saw Saran Neal get serious time there a year ago, and then Taron Johnson, that's obviously where he is starting, although he's had health concerns. So it's interesting. I think – they probably still like him, and but I would say maybe now, just again, based upon the the offseason and the, the unfamiliar times and, and unique times of this, he maybe is more of a likely candidate for the practice squad again. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. And I think, you know, early on, and again, this has just been thought up, it, it, it's a little bit different in terms of being able to really sink your teeth into an evaluation. But I thought that there's been moments I've said, I've noticed Cam Lewis and I've noticed Dane Jackson, you know, the rookie uh, out of Pittsburgh. So I think that as we go along, we'll be able to track this a little bit more in terms of how they're playing. And obviously we won't be able to report it, but where they're playing and with who they're playing, that will kind of craft this thing a little bit more for us. 
But I think that it was Leslie who said, piqued my interest that, you know, last year in camp, I felt like Cam Lewis played a lot of outside corner, almost predominantly, even though he had the slot ability. Um, and I think Leslie said on Friday that he's going to get some work during camp at, uh, in the slot, which is interesting because there, as much as they like flexibility, I don't think that there is a path to the roster there because I think that Taron Johnson and Saran Neal are locks. Right. So that'll be interesting to track to see how that plays out. But, you know, I'm a big Cam Lewis guy, big UB guy, so I hope that he makes the team. <laughs> hey, fair enough. Closing in on an hour here, uh, one other player fans are wondering about is Brian Winters. The Bills obviously signed him recently, let go of Spencer Long, who then decided to retire just days after that. Uh, you know, in terms of learning a, a new playbook or in terms of getting up to speed, again, you have to be careful of how you word these things or how you guys are going to talk about it. But what have you seen from Winters in terms of his ability to step in and, and maybe uh, find himself playing a big role early in the season? I think my biggest observation of Brian Winters is more so on day two where I really noticed it. When he was on the field, he looked comfortable. He looked like a seven-year vet that started over 70 games in the NFL. And I think that's the most important thing you want to see early on, especially for a guy that missed uh, six games, seven games last year with a shoulder injury. You start getting up there in age and you start having some of these kind of you know dangerous injuries. I mean, anytime you injure a shoulder – as a offensive lineman, I mean, they talk about your punch and, you know, your ability to uh, hold off some of these 300 pounders inside. That's a, that's a scary injury. And I think he's been, I think he's been fine. Uh, it's tough. I, I always joke with Joe Biscalia from the athletic. He he's, he's got it locked in on those line exchanges where, you know, if you go read his observations at the athletic, I'm always like, I didn't see any of that. And, and so, <laughs> I think some people like that's definitely not my strength watching the, uh, the, 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 the line, but I think the, the best offensive line so far, I could say this, you know, without a doubt has been Deion Dawkins. I thought he's been, he's lived up to the contract so far in thought up practices. Yeah. I mean, they're not engaging really. So it's hard to tell. And, and I agree with you, even when they are engaging in traditional training camp, live periods and whatnot. Uh, I mean, unless someone's getting steamrolled, that's not, you know, my cup of tea to really be able to say, well, all right, one way or the other, you know, he was he was good or bad. Um, but from what we've heard from other offensive linemen since he was signed, they seem to believe that he's picking up things well and, and carrying himself already as a leader and a guy that you would expect to come in with his experience and be able to uh, get right into it. 55 minutes, John Scott, Spectrum News, delivering the goods tonight. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? You guys got a nice, fun new uh, Facebook series. Give them the 411 on that. Right. So uh, as you can see here, at John Scott TV on Twitter, get that H out of here. That's not how you spell the name. Um, and then you Kevin- literally turned off everybody with that one comment. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, and then, uh, Kevin Carroll and I over on our spectrum news, Buffalo Facebook page on Fridays at four have started a, a Facebook live similar to this. Um, but we, we soup it up pretty well with our actual graphics package that we use on air on spectrum news. And, uh, you know, as things move forward, you may incorporate guests and video and, and things like that. But it's it's a similar conversation to what we're having here. Uh, but we put it on Fridays because that gives us a full six days worth of camp to kind of look back and then project forward as they're off on Saturday and then get things back going on Sundays. So, yeah, John Scott TV on Twitter. Uh, I'm throwing video and interview clips and observations and everything I can uh out there on a daily basis and uh i'm ready i'm ready i feel like i said i was rusty on on monday and uh i'm in the groove now i joke with john all the time about his social he always met makes fun of me for being the social media guy like he always says uh if i need social media help i'll go talk to perino <laughs> but you know he's he's underrated man i mean if you if you don't follow him i would get on it because you know those those guys all the tv people do a great job but I think his wife does, or his fiance does a better job, but no, that's neither here nor there. They get these video clips out really quick from not only the interviews, but you know, the on-field stuff. So if you're not following John, 
Heather Prusak from Channel 4. We've had so many great guests um, on the show. We'll continue to have them on. Uh, but for us, New York Upstate, Syracuse.com. Make sure you check things out over there tomorrow from about 12.30 to about 2 o'clock in the afternoon is when my observations from what we think might be the first uh, tackle, live tackle session practice tomorrow. That's We're going to dive into a, a, you know feet first and, and see if we can't uh, you know, get some fun stuff, fun content for you guys. As always, Shout Football Podcast. Search it on all the platforms. We always appreciate you guys joining us live. For Ryan Talbot, check out his Reggie Gilliam story later this week. It's a good one. John Scott, Spectrum News Buffalo, at John Scott TV, no H. I'm Matt Perino. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time.